Good afternoon, good evening. So we'll continue our discussion from this morning. And we are discussing from the 23rd chapter of the 10th canto. Chronologically speaking, the Bhagavatam chapters uh, don't uh, always fall in order. <clears throat> and the order chronologically is listed in some of the other Puranas and there and without the feeling of Sugadev, which caused him to move uh, in ways other than chronological. Hmm? Some feeling came to him in the context of one Lila narrative that took him to another and it kind of moves um, out of the ecstasy of Sukadev, the speaker, who is uh, described in two ways, actually in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, with regard to his uh, perfections, his perfection, one that he became perfect by Kirtan. And Rupa Goswami at the same time also describes him as, an, as, as a Kripa Siddha. So that would be two types of Siddha, Sadhana Siddha, Kripa Siddha, Kripa means mercy, and uh, sadhana means by spiritual practice. And you certainly can attain perfection by spiritual practice along with some mercy. But you could attain spiritual perfection without any practice and mercy alone. It's possible. But that's not something to count on. <laughs> <laughs> So um, this comes to mind because we're now going to, in this half of the discussion, um, segue into the more uh, central point, segueing away now, to some extent, at least directly, from the um, in the context of the narrative, the uh, Distinguishing between Varnashram and Bhakti, between the ordinary Dharma, morality, um, and so forth, the trajectory of which Dharma, Artha, Kam, Moksha uh, lies within Rajas and Sattva. Mm-hmm. So it lies within the, in the world. Um, whereas the uh, trajectory of Bhakti, Bhakti as we know, is otherworldly. It's uh, it's the the shakti that governs and orchestrates the leelas of Krishna. Mm-hmm. It's sometimes described as his, his own shakti, his swarup shakti. Mm-hmm. We're one of his shaktis, but but we're not, um, and we can be influenced and come under that sway of the swarup shakti of bhakti and be participants in his leela, but we have the potential and capacity to be under the sway and influence of the Maya Shakti hmm, as well. Um, if we are fortunate to come under the sway of Bhakti, we can never return, so to speak, to the influence of, of the Maya Shakti. <clears throat> but um, so we, we need grace. Bhakti is a dispensation from the other side. It's a gracious gift. It's not something inherent within us, but uh, 
a uh, an opportunity. There are devotees, that means to say, they're always moving in the world. Most people are moving under the influence of karma. But Krishna speaks in the Gita of some Mahatmas, great souls, Mahatmanas Dumamparta, Daivim Prakriti moving under the influence of Mysarup Shakti, under the influence of Bhakti only. So their company is is contagious. So if we get that uh, company, or even it's possible directly by Krishna's grace, in some instances one can become perfect by mercy alone. <clears throat> and um, this comes to mind only because the principal players in this chapter, who are now the wives of the uh, Vedic Brahmins, the Yajnapatnis, hmm? they are said by Rupa Goswami to be Kripasiddhas. Although, as we heard, their perfection, deriving primarily from a moment of grace from Krishna, he's inspired. Nonetheless, they had some practice in their life, as we heard. They heard from the from the garland makers and the uh, spice uh, merchants who would uh, venture forth from the rural brudge to metropolitan Matura to trade, and um, and uh, the ladies in those uh, cottage industries for example, would sell betel nuts and, uh, or trade, as may be the case, a barter system and flower garlands. And these Brahmanis, the Putnis, the wives of the Brahmins, they would be the recipients and they would offer them to the, uh, for the Vedic rituals and, 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 and whatnot. And, and so these merchants, if you will, they just talked about Krishna. That's what the bridge is all about. So this infected the lives of the Yagnupatnis, and that's what they did. They would sit around, and while their husbands were busy doing very important things, they were doing nothing, just talking about Krishna, <laughs> as the husbands thought of it, who <clears throat> became impediments to their progress, but their their resistance and their holding uh, back their wives uh, really served as a negative impetus for them to further pursue this uh, contagious um, influence of, of bhakti that they'd come under. So there's a little, I think Jiva Goswami comments along those lines, they had a little practice, uh, but uh, but they got a special dispensation. This whole leela of Krishna is orchestrated by the omniscience in his subconscious that's causing him to, as we've heard, go at that day a long distance from Vrindavan, so far that the messenger, the, the, uh, the servant bearing, bringing out his lunch, hmm, couldn't find him. And, and uh, so the, uh, the boys had no lunch. Hunger struck. They, they approached Krishna for a resolution to the problem, knowing if I'm hungry, Krishna must be hungry. So he sent them to the Agnik Brahmins, who, as we've heard, ignored them. Hmm? They... You couldn't find people more saturated with prem and and um, and they couldn't recognize them. Hmm? Absorbed in just um, uh, religious uh, life without understanding its purpose. Religious life at its heart, of course, 
is uh, well, religious life on the surface is about making our human life better, and its heart is about transcending the limits of human life, which can never get fully better, <laughs> right? It can never be uh, uh, unto itself uh, perfected. Its perfection is applying itself, human life, ha- having come from animality to humanity, applying humanity in relation to spirituality, right? So to go from religious inquiry and how to live a tamed life to running freely, so to speak, in uh, beyond the constraints of birth and death, etc. So their wives were on this end of the spectrum, and they couldn't recognize it in their wives, and they couldn't recognize it in the coward boys who were sent by Krishna to them to ask for cooked rice. Hmm? Krishna's herding cows with Balaram. They've been all day. They would like some rice from the sacrifice. Please give it. And these Brahmins ignored them. Hmm? They heard the name Krishna. They heard the name Ram. They saw these boys' extraordinary character and dress and characteristics and ecstasy, but they couldn't... couldn't. We see the contrast between how the wives responded to the boys. Hmm? But we heard a little bit about the husbands and... Uh, and so this, as I mentioned earlier, is the first uh, time in the narrative of, of the Leela that this uh, tension between the small g good of morality or dharma and the prema dharma, between Varnashram and Bhakti. We know and we heard it this morning and the, and the Gopas said it in their own words and they spoke to the, uh, to the Brahmins and if we understand their words correctly, which we spoke about this morning, they're actually speaking more or less the last verse of the Gita. If you just have faith in Krishna, faith means sharanagati, in other words, it's not just a word. If you have faith, you, it shows up, right? Mm-hmm. So Krishna in the Gita says, Mam ekam sharanam, have faith in me, do sharanagati, and me, mam ekam. What does he mean when he says mam ekam? Why does he say ekam? Why does he say ekam? Alone. What does ekam mean? I'm one alone. Why? Because <laughs> uh, he's asking us to abandon all other varieties of religion, so and take refuge in him as the only variety for us. Yes, he says him because, in contrast to what he's speaking about. Ananya Bhakti hmm, is something that's to be given up. And then it's Varnashram Dharma, in which there are many gods and goddesses, worship of whom is all well and good, but it's not going to get you out of the world. Hmm. They can be controlled by your desires if you approach them properly. Give them what they want, they have to reciprocate. Krishna can't be controlled like that. <laughs> he doesn't have to reciprocate. He, he has to reciprocate for love, but not for bargaining. Don't be a merchant. Don't be a trader. Be a servant. Right? Whether you reciprocate, the boss reciprocates or not, well, this is my, my dharma, my service. So, of course he does, but he's not forced to by anything material. He has no 
material needs. Even the gods have material needs, so they have a relationship with humanity. But they keep one another within the world, the context of that relationship. And so instead of many gods, the idea is one god, Krishna, the worship of whom includes the worship of all the gods, really. They're all partial expressions of himself in terms of their being um, controlling agencies of some aspect of, in this case, his Maya Shakti. Hmm? So worship of him includes the worship of them. Mami come. So this is how the Gita ends, right? And um, and that's how the Bhagavatam begins, as we said. I think we left off there. Dharma Projitakaita Vutra. Paramo Nirmat Saranam Satam. So, Krishna is showing this in the Leela here. And this is the first time in the context of the Leela narrative. It's pointed out philosophically earlier in the text of the Bhagavatam, but in the 10th canto narrative of the Leela, so many, if not all, of the points that are pointed out philosophically throughout the rest of the book are found in the Leela narrative also. That's why the 10th canto is, in a sense, complete in itself. Hmm? That's why Bhagavatshravan, one powerful anga of bhakti, hearing the Bhagavatam, mentioned by Rupa Goswami, Diva Goswami comments, means that means the 10th canto. Hmm? Everything there. But you might have to read the other candles to be able to figure that out. Mm-hmm. And the Sundarvas and so many other things. If you've done that, then you can retire and read the tenth canto and all those points will come to life as they're coming to life here in this this uh, narrative of this this chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, and interestingly enough, as I was saying, the uh, Bhagavatam spoken by Sugadeva is all the chapters are not in chronological order. He is narrating out of ecstasy, and so how he will, where he will go, to what leela or what not, it's driven by his inner feeling, and that's good, because that's what we're in touch with, right? At the same time, um, Diva Goswami has shown the chronological order, for example, in Gopal Champu, and there's some value to understanding that. And with regard to this point, the the tension between Varnashram and um, and Bhakti. And, and, and the tension is that there are thousands of rules in Varnashram. Like I said, in Varnashram, there are rules which way to pass urine, at which time of the day, <laughs> whether the wind's blowing or not, <laughs> or whether the sun's up or it's a moon. <laughs> I mean, it's like, that's just to give you an example. And so, uh, it's pretty rule. Um, bound, rule-burdened, and by contrast, bhakti and the bhakti of Braj is the, the burden there, the weight is love. Hmm? Love and law, the contrast between love and law. We find it in the Christian tradition also. The Old Testament was the the the, the, the text, uh, the, the law book, and the, and the Christ came to give the love book, the New Testament, that retired the law, and his, his laws were love your neighbor like yourself and love your God with all your heart. Those are the rules. No more rules. Hmm? Simple. Right? So Bhagavatam is like a New Testament within the Vedic literature. It's the book of love. Hmm? And understanding and pursuing it, the laws are met 
you, w- w- it's not that by following the ragmarg and pursuing the ideal that we, we would just break rules and we don't have any moral sensibilities or anything like that. No, it's a very virtuous path. But rules, for example, the rules of Varnash, they have a purpose to them. Hmm? And if you can meet the purpose, they no longer have any bearing on you. Hmm? There's a purpose. Why you shouldn't urinate facing the sun or the moon, hmm? for example. You know, because because in Varnashram, then there is a there is a um, a lifestyle is promoted in which there is gratitude, which is the beginning of love. Say thank you. Say to your kids, did you say thank you? If you're American. Anyway, say thank you. <laughs> say thank you now. Hmm? Uh, so that's just beginning to love, right? Okay, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> so that's the beginning, right? Show some gratitude. Hmm? Well, Barnashram is like this. Hmm? We want something, so pray to God. Thank you. So he, the God, this God gives this, that God gives this. And of course, these gods represent the the, the macrocosm of nature, and so there's a, a reverence for nature. Hmm? And so the sun is 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 has so many virtues. Uh, it gives us light. It gives us health. Uh, it provides uh, uh, um, much required energy for the for the vegetation. Um, and so forth. It, it it's it gives peace of mind. The sunny days, or happy days, mm-hmm. uh, and so forth. Mm-hmm. And um, so there's some indebtedness to. So we see the sun as a kind of a god influence. And so you don't go in the temple and pass urine. So right. So simple. You don't pass face the sun. Something like that is the idea, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so uh, the idea is that it, so anyway, if the laws are understood hmm, and their purpose is fulfilled, hmm, then laws properly understood are culminates in when you understand that they're made for what purpose? They're made to be. Not followed. Broken. broken. <laughs> <laughs> they're made to be broken. That's what they're for. <laughs> they're made to be broken. Hmm? So to, 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 to go beyond them, to come out of the cage, so to speak, right, of morality, enter into the big capital G, absolute good there. And that's why the absolute good of Krishna Leela is often portrayed as appearing to sometimes uh, not do the Small g good, right? Hmm? Now here, in the, in, the, in the context of the Leela narrative of the tenth canto, this is being introduced for the first time that there's an absolute good and relative good. They're in contrast hmm, with one another. It's just introducing the idea. But chronologically speaking, what comes after this chapter in the Bhagavatam, as far as the actual chronology of the Leela, is the Rasa Leela, five chapters. So what's happening here is, in like a needle, as they say, and out like a plow. So Krishna's introducing the idea. There's this, this there's this tension between the small g good and the capital G good, between dharma that's religious, that's good and well and full of gratitude, but it keeps you in this world, hmm? 
and the kind of the idea of love that transcends that 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 that's at the heart of all religious traditions. Hmm? Love your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor like yourself. I mean, if you love your neighbor like yourself and you love your God with all your heart, well, you're a pretty virtuous guy or a gal, right? Hmm? And you can urinate in any direction you want. <laughs> That's the idea. Hmm? Hmm? And, of course, the beautiful thing about the Krishna Leela is while Bhakti transcends Varnashram, when you enter into the Leela, there's your Daiva Varnashram. Hmm? And you can follow the Varnashram in the context of the Leela as much as it doesn't conflict with the Bhakti. It's superficially there, right? It's superficially there to say those who have Prem Bhakti have everything that Varnashram could give and more. Hmm? And it also says it's a good thing. It's a good social structure. It's 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 it's, a, it's very conducive hmm? um, for the spiritual pursuit of the ideal, pursuing the heart, as far as a social system goes, right? Uh, but anyway, it's introduced here, as I say, in this chapter, and in the next, in the Brasilila chapter, what happens is that it's this this is the, and this is the zenith of the whole text, eighteen thousand verses, the Brasilila. And what's happening there is it's real clear. The gopis break the Varnashram in the most egregious way you could possibly do that, hmm? risking their own uh, everything, their village's reputation and uh, crossing over the Veda and answering to the flute, the clarion call of Krishna's flute in the dead of night. And they look to be uh, adulterous hmm? uh, on its face. You have to look deeply on what, what's really going on there. But uh, here in this chapter, just to introduce, just to get it ready for the next chapter, to just really make the point. And that's the apex of the Bhagavatam. Everything after that is only pointing back to these these, these moments. And it's the answer. It's the answer also to Sukadeva, to Parikshit's question. What, what, what to do at the time of death? What to, how to overcome death? It's basically his question. This is how. You have to die to... Hmm. Hmm? to the identity that arises out of material existence, even of our Nashram identity. You have to die to that. Hmm? Gopis died to that completely. They took all risk. They knew nothing risked, nothing gained. Hmm. They knew. So it's just the opposite. It's just all risk, all gain. Hmm. All risk and all gain. So it turns out, I risked all, I got all. So when the real math was, there was no risk. It was all gain. Hmm? It's all gain, there's no risk. And Krishna's good for his word. He says, Saradamana Pratyaja Mamekam Sharanam Braja, and I will have your back. Aham Tom Sarvapapibhyo Moksha Yashami Masucha. No god or goddess can chase after you, saying, "Hey, you didn't petition me. You didn't. You didn't honor me. You didn't. You did this. You crossed over that line." Krishna said, "Just dismiss them." Hmm? Does my devotee owe you something? Yes. Do you owe me anything? Yes. Hmm? Then something like that, right? So, anyway, this is kind of where we where we where we ended. Hmm? And um, so, yeah, the lesson, laws are made to be broken. So where there are laws, love is very limited. 
And where there's love, what is the need for laws? Right? Love your neighbor. Love your love your God. Hmm? Prabhupada wanted this mission to be run by love and trust. These are the two, these are, were the two laws. He said that's all we need. Hmm? So um, <clears throat> so. So, so the boys have been sent by Krishna to get the rice from the Brahmins, and they approached them during the sacrifice, and they um, understood where they were at and spoke to them appropriately um, in Prokshavad, the hidden meanings, and uh, and, uh, and the Brahmins ignored them. <clears throat> and... Um, They didn't. Um, I mean, they didn't understand their the basic. Go back to the trees that Krishna was glorifying. The basic idea that uh, if someone's hungry, then they should be fed, right? So, um, so the boys returned. I'll read a little bit. The boys returned to Krishna, empty-handed. They approached Krishna first for fear that Balaram would be enraged at the Brahmin's disrespect for his younger brother and his request. And after all, it was also Krishna who sent them, so they went back and reported to Krishna first. Mm -hmm. So how did Krishna react then? And that's the question. So, However, when Krishna heard the report, he simply laughed. He chuckled. And then he suggested that they approach the Brahmin's wives. Hmm. By this, there's something that he taught by laughing. He made light of the fact that his devotees went to beg and they got the door closed in their face. Hmm. And what he means to say by that is that, that it's possible that you may go begging on my behalf and people may not give you the kind of reception that you think they should, knowing who I am and and what I mean for them, for such people, bring, bringing me into their lives as you're trying to do. They may close the door in your face. It's possible. They may throw ashes at you. Get out. Don't bother me. Um, it's, it's possible. And devotees, they are uh, beggars. They're begging people to take to serve Krishna, begging people to pursue their real, their real self-interest and the golden opportunity that comes before them. But they may not be well uh, received. Hmm. So Krishna's chuckling and saying to them, he, his lesson is that there's they are the losers, not you. Hmm. And why should we be upset with the losers? You're the winners. They're the losers. No reason to be upset or angry. We may be a little sad for them. That's another thing. But um, Krishna wanted to make a little light of it by way of saying there's no loss for you. So devotees should not be discouraged if people don't... Uh, if, if, if in, in trying to speak the truth, there's not a big audience. The world's really not based on the, the truth. It's based on 
on falsity. So that's more the norm, right? So don't be discouraged. Hmm? Why be angry with those that are losers? Still, Ram was angry, <laughs> not for himself, but um, because in his mind Krishna was offended, his request having been ignored. And Sanatana Goswami says the nice, nice thing. He says that Krishna also chuckled because he was teaching uh, his friends that in this world, women tend to have more love of God than men. Hmm? Um, which the men wouldn't think. This is a patriarchal society. They have no idea. So Krishna got a chuckle out of that. Hmm? And he told them, now go and see the wives of the Brahmins. Over and above everything that Krishna taught by orchestrating this entire Leela hmm, was the glory of the Brahmin of the love the Brahmin's wives had for him. Hmm? This was the driving force between, behind all that had transpired thus far, which is what? The wandering at a great distance from Vrindavan, which brought on the hunger, right? His glorification of the trees, by which he taught about magnanimity that even trees have, certainly people should have, would speak of Brahmins and devotees. Um, the boys' hunger, their begging, the Brahmins' ritual and refusal to honor Krishna's request were all ultimately orchestrated for the purpose of showcasing the Brahmanis, the, the Yagnapatni's love and for him to reciprocate with it. As mentioned earlier, these Brahmanis had heard about Krishna, right? Mm-hmm. From garland bakers and traders and had fallen in love with him. They spent their time primarily hearing and chanting about him and their love for him had drawn Krishna to them. And Indeed, Krishna forgot to eat. You can look at it like this, out of love for them on this day. God may not eat, as the Brahmins thought. Remember, they said, well, God doesn't eat anyway. Some people say Krishna's God, but you're saying he's hungry. <laughs> I guess we know now he's not God, so get out of here. Hmm? Our wives are nuts. They talk about Krishna as if he's divine. But we hear from his friends that he's a, he's a, God's not hungry. So he may not be. That's another thing, right? Mm-hmm. God may not need to eat, as their husbands concluded. But he lives on the love of his devotees. Mm-hmm. And when you love someone, then you want to serve them. It's just real simple. So You invite them over for dinner. Mm-hmm. Can I cook something for you? Would you like to go to lunch? Okay. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> so you love someone, you feed them. The love is to serve. At this point, the Brahmanis' love and separation warranted reciprocation of the initial of initial first-time union meeting with Krishna. They have not met him yet. You're in this condition, but they can't live in that condition any longer. Hmm? They've heard about him. They've seen um, other people, his influence on other people. Hmm? So many stories about him and so forth. They've fallen in love with him. They're preoccupied with this. They couldn't participate in the Vedic Yogis if they had to, hmm? practically. Hmm? Um, so, but now, the difference between them and us is they cannot bear that any longer. Hmm? 
And this is now Krishna's hearing that. Deep in his subconscious omniscience, this message is coming through. And also he has to go. He's, he's, he can't bear their separation any longer. So Krishna, so what? So, the, so Krishna, in this way, told these these uh, his friends something about these ladies. Hmm? He said, "Go to them, and this is have to be what they're like." Hmm? They're always hearing about me, chanting about me. He described them as as he could understand them to be, hmm? and he didn't tell the boys to say that he and Ram were hungry. And he, he he didn't he, he he didn't because he didn't want to cause them any distress to think that he was in distress. He knew he knew how it would affect their hearts. Hmm? He was drawn so close to them without having direct union m- meeting them personally and him them meeting him. Hmm? So he also knew that just hearing the names his name and seeing his friends compared to the Brahmins, hmm? the hearts of the Brahmanis would leap, unlike their husbands who ignored the boys, seeing them, their dress, their gestures, the way they carried themselves in fraternal love for Krishna, would serve as an Udipan of Ibhav for the Brahmanis' own budding bhava for Krishna. However, Krishna described something about the measure of the Brahmanis' love for him, their austerities and service to him, their detachment from their non-devotee families, their preoccupation with hearing and chanting. And all of this astounded the coward boys. These coward boys are premikas. They have attained the goal in a different bhava that the uh, Yagnapattis want to attain. Hmm? In their hearing about the practices and the preoccupation of these ostensibly sadhakas, very advanced sadhakas, and they're very they're very attracted to them. The coward boys become very oh, they're such devotees. They want that they are only hearing and chanting about you, and they they just they want to meet them. That's how they, they don't think. Oh, we'll see. They become more advanced. Maybe we'll you know we'll give them some prasad, something like that. They, no, they're not like that. They have no sense of, of being superior. Hmm? Here's a devotee. Krishna's describing this devotee hmm? and praising that devotee. They want to go and they they want to serve that devotee. Hmm? They think they're thinking the wives are superior to them. They want to go and serve them. That's their feeling. Hmm? This is what it means to be a, a brajbasi. Hmm? No pride, right? Dainya and prem. Mm. They become one at this stage. Mm. They bec- their prem fosters dainu or humility, and the humility fosters prem, and they just crease one another mm. back and forth, back and forth, feeding one another. Mm. So they are hearing what they heard astounded the boys and made them eager to meet them. Thus, they fell over one another mm. in their effort to run and meet them. Such like-minded devotees, despite the difference in their bhav, the ladies in Madhurya themselves in, in Sakya. 
Hmm. Let me read a little something here. The Brahmins' hearts had, the Brahmanis' hearts had already melted from hearing about Krishna, and from the faint sounds of his distant flutes, melodious Kedarag, inviting them to love him. And when they saw his friends before them, unlike their husbands, right? When they saw his when they saw his friends before them with their own flutes, tucked in their attractive belts, herding sticks in hand, their endearing dress and uncommon decorations, drawn from the forest environs, painted with red oxide from Mount Govardhan, musk deer tilak on their broad foreheads, nocturnal flowering and exceptionally fragrant large white finger-shaped flowers of the carnicar tree, their long buds having separated into five or more slender sepals placed over their ears, garlanded with malati, jasmine, and champak flowers, their hair tied in top knots and pinned with peacock feathers, chanting, Ram, Krishna, Krishna, Ram. They appeared like this. And I don't know. I mean, they appeared the same way to the Brahmins' husbands, and they just ignored him. <laughs> you have to have a saridayam, a sympathetic heart, your association, and then you can. And God could appear before you, you couldn't recognize him, right? But they were in a position to recognize. So the ladies, when they saw them, their love for Hari ascended on high through their sadaka deyas as mature Brahmas, they experienced the Brajasiddhadeyas of Krishna Sakas, leading them to him, seeing the boys who reminded them of the coward they had seen in their meditation and heard about from the simple-hearted lady merchants of Braj, the Agnapatnis fainted, shocked, the boys, and now nervous. They fainted. The boys, they didn't know why. They passed out. They were in a swoon. They loved Krishna so much. They didn't know what to do. Hmm? They gradually revived, revived them by chanting the names of Ram, Krishna, Hari, Ram, Krishna, Hari, Hari, Krishna, Hari, Krishna, 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 Hari, 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 Ram, Hari, Ram, 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 Hari, Hari. As you see, as we've been hearing, it's totally saturated with Nam, Nam Kirtan. So they revived them, right, by their Nam Kirtan. Hmm? And when they uh, stabilized the ladies, they intuitively understood that, oh, these are cowherds and they're at such a distance from Vrindavan. Hmm? And they've come here on behalf of Krishna, who is still with Ram herding the cows, which is a never-ending affair. Hmm? So they just intuited, they must be hungry. They didn't have to say, Krishna's hungry, please be they, they they naturally intuited that they they, they were just they were on the same page, hmm? so they had many preparations that had been cooked for the yogya instead of giving them to the yogya, they put them in vessels on their heads and followed the boys who were like were like gurus for them taking them to Krishna in the context of this stage of their their life. They had been born just just outside of the Braj. And not in in Gopi Dehas, hmm? not in in Vaishya bodies. This is, so we come back to the Varnashram and how how it's part of the structure of the Leela, as we'll see. So they anyway they come and 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 and, and what what ha, what happens? Well, they they 
they see Krishna. And there's a beautiful verse, one of the most beautiful verses of the whole uh, Bhagavatam describing Krishna, what they saw. There, well, it's beautiful. Let me read a little bit. But the ladies heard, all the ladies heard was Ram and Krishna, which caused them to gain and lose consciousness repeatedly. However, when they eventually stabilized, they spontaneously desired to serve the boys and assumed they were hungry. Although Krishna did not directly instruct the boys to speak about his hunger to them, the Brahmanis intuited that young boys so far from home and hurting for hours must be hungry. Thus they gathered the prepared food for their husband's sacrifice and bearing it in vessels on their heads, tears falling from their eyes, they followed Krishna's friends to the Ashok, Ashok grove where he waited, awaited them in anticipation. Upon their arrival, their shoka was ah. It became Ashok. All their misery, Ashok means misery, arising from love and separation was mitigated. Praised to Madhava, to his Brahmanis, and to his Mitram Sanatanam. His friends. There, along the banks of the Jamuna, in the grove of Ashok trees, the object of their meditation appeared before them. At last, they saw him with their eyes, the object of their love, for the first time. And this is how he appeared. His sham-colored complexion was wrapped in a golden garment, reminiscent of dawn's early light that brought an end to the long night of the Brahmanis' separation. His romantic, effulgent hue beamed forth from his form, capturing the Yagnapatnis within its embrace, within its embrace, and reciprocating with their own amorous sentiments. He was dressed like an artiste in a drama, from a drama set to music. Shoots of different colored fresh grass and flower buds adorned his body such that it appeared as if the goddesses of all variety of flowering plants surrounded him and were further beautified by him. Different colored natural mineral dyes were painted in different patterns on his limbs and face. He was garlanded with forest flowers from head to toe, and his hair, tied in his top knot, was pinned with the plume of a peacock. He rested his left hand affectionately on the shoulder of Subalsaka, as if to say, See how I am. I love my devotees. You're in the right place. And in his right hand he held a fragrant lotus flower. He smiled broadly, his face framed with locks of curling jet black hair that danced beautifully on his cheeks, contrasting with white water lilies placed over his ears. This is what they saw. Hmm? And Krishna said, Please, come. And his heart felt heavy, seeing the burden of the prashad they were carrying on their heads. Please, come. Sit. Hmm? And they sat with him. And the boys are just astounded to be witnessing this extraordinary event. Hmm? And they conversed and Krishna welcomed them and uh, they, they expressed their, their feelings for him and he acknowledged, I know how you feel. Hmm? And so forth. But then he told them that so what I want you to do is go home. They said, how can we go home? We left our homes. We, 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 that our husbands, what, what are they going to do? What are our family going to do? How can we go back there? Hmm? He said, no, you don't have to worry about that. Hmm? When you go back, everything will be changed. 
Your husbands will look at you differently. Your families, there will no longer be an obstacle. That that unfavorable environment will be turned to a favorable environment. You don't have to worry about that. They said, still, that may be, but we don't want to go. We want to stay here. He said, well, it's, the thing is that you are, you are Brahmins. I'm a Vaishya. So according to the, the human-like nature of my Leela, this, some features of the Varnashram we follow in the Leela. Right? So I can't, I can't marry Brahmins. 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 So, so they said, well, what we'll do then, we just stay in the forest. We just live in the forest. And whenever you come out, then we'll see you. And we don't have to tell anybody. Hmm? Hmm? And we and we will worship those gopis who come and meet you secretly. So you look carefully. They they prayed for to be attendants of the gopis. Hmm? And Krishna is very pleased. He said, still, here's what you do. You go home. There will be no obstacles. And now you meditate upon me. I've shown, I've given you my darshan. Now, I separate only for the purpose of taking you the further, the full distance that you need to go hmm, to make union with me. So go home, meditate on me. We, your, your heart's affection will intensify. Your meditation will intensify. Everyone will venerate you, no problem. And then internally, Siddharupa will awaken and you'll take birth in the Braj Leela as Vaishas and in my, in my next next time around, something like that. Hmm? This is how he instructed them. So they went home, sure enough. Hmm? The, the roles changed. The Brahmins realized what had happened and their mistakes. I mean, they were smart guys. They were Brahmins. They were just a little deluded at the time. So, And they saw the example of their wives. So their wives became the gurus of the family. Hmm? Their wives became the gurus, their gurus. They accepted them as such. That's how much the roles changed by Krishna's range, how favorable the environment became. Hmm? So, in this way, um, only one thing left now to conclude the Leela. The Gopas were mystified by all of this, but it was not their place to ask more about it and what were the implications, nor was it the time, indeed. It was more than time to eat. <laughs> and all kinds of uh, nicely cooked preparations were present there, right? So, uh, Krishna, and what happened? So, Krishna sat everyone down, all of his friends, hmm, every single one of them, and he served every single one of them with his own hand. Hmm? And only after they had tasted, then at his insistence, then he tasted. And he smiled approvingly, and then they were all very satisfied. Hmm? And then, to get further approval, of course, the Brahmins had to weigh in. So Madhumangal spoke up. Hmm? <laughs> this is another way, very subtly, in which, in the Leela narrative, this Varnashram is poked at, and and the Kali Yuga Brahmins is, is, is kind of like... The, the, the narrative Sukadeva is poking at them. Hmm? He's a farcical, poor excuse of a Brahmin. Hmm? He's actually, of course, Saka and, and, and so forth, but he's in the role of, 
of a Brahmin boy. And it said that Brahmins should only should only eat as much as they can speak. Hmm? And um, what would he do? He would hmm, eat rather than speak. <laughs> eat, speak only about eating, I guess is what he would do. Speak only about eating for the most part. Hmm? So uh, it's a way in which the Bhagavatam is, 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 is saying, and the Leela narratives of the Goswamis in particular, churning the nectar of the Bhagavatam, making fun, making light a little bit of proud Brahmins. Hmm? And they're thought, of, uh, thought to be monopoly on religion and so forth, when they're just confined within the moral boundaries of, of, uh, of the modes of nature, and, this, and as I say, the small g good, and often at the cost of insight into the, into the ultimate and absolute good. So, uh, we need confirmation from Mother Mangal. We got Krishna's smiling approval. Hmm? The meal included all types of food: those licked, chewed, drunk, sucked, five tastes: salty, sweet, sour, bitter, and pungent. The highlight: jalebis, coiled like peacock feathers. Hmm? Yeah. <laughs> In. Uh, in uh, uh, Lalita Madhava, Rupa Goswami, Madhu Mangal, this is much later, he reminds Krishna, and you remember with a great longing, and you remember those jalebis <laughs> coiled like like peacock feathers? Ah, oh. <laughs> that was incredible. <laughs> <laughs> So, so you can, ha- you can imagine it happened every, every every so often, and you remember that one. Well, this in particular is brought out there. Hmm? So, uh, so these in particular, Madhamangal never forgot. Often with intense longing, reminding Krishna over the years to come of such delicacies, delicacies brought by the Brahmanis. In Madhamangal's expert opinion, these saintly women cooked so nicely. He said, and he made this. Uh, give his approval. Their food, what they've cooked, is so nice that if even a small piece of it falls on the ground and gets covered with dust, one should make all effort to pick it up and collect it and consume it. Hmm? Such as its, such as its quality, he said. In fact, he made a proposal. In fact, Krishna, I think what you should do is build a hut and lock them in there. Hmm? <laughs> and, and make them cook all day long for you and Ram and me. <laughs> and the Krishna said, you glutton. You've gone so mad by your gluttony that you've lost all decorum to, to think like this. Hmm? And then the coward friends, of course, they, they chimed in and, and they said, um, we think what you should do, Madam Mongol, is be chained to a house next to theirs hmm? and worship them all day long in pursuit of what they're cooking. Of course, then replied, you call me gluttons. You're the gluttons. You did the begging. You went there. Hmm? I sat here peacefully self-controlled. You couldn't control your hunger. You had to go and... <laughs> create this whole thing 
so forth. It's all your fault. In this way, they had their uh, their bellies filled, and their hearts swelled with sakyabhav and and uh, what is it? Humor and hasirati, hasirasa, right? Coming in and and uh, coming with a happy ending, right? All's well that ends well. So, any questions? Yes. Okay, the question not related. Well, let's see if there's any related first. Yes. What what then happened with the with the Brahmin uh, husbands when they came in contact with the cowherd boys since they were um, Maharasis or Mahabharats? What happened to them? Well, they ignored them, but um, they couldn't really be ignored, right? They ignored them consciously, but the power of their bhakti is such that just ignoring them is doesn't doesn't do away with the influence, right? And so they got some some scars for bhakti, thus. When their wives came back around, they were in a better position, right? To take advantage and understand who they were, and then they thought, "Oh, what?" And we saw those boys, and and so forth. Hmm? Ad- Ad- Ananda. Um, I'll ask uh, the wives of the Brahmins had the aspiration to serve the Yeah, well, serve Krishna. Yeah, Gopi Bhav. Yeah, in fact, it's described that one of the girls, ladies, was was um, particularly um, obstructed in her pursuit to meet with Krishna by her husband and forced her by negative impetus deeper into meditation and she attained a siddharupa and attained, attained Krishna. So the, the implications of the other ladies did the same in due course. So they... That, that that feature of um, so then they did meditation in their siddharups and served and then they took birth in the Brajlila as gopis themselves that's the idea and then the next chapter chronologically is all about the gopis pardon how would they be considered prepositas then well like I said uh, Sukadev Rupa Goswami says they're prepositas Jiva Goswami says it would seem that they had some sadhana hmm? Yeah, but then there's also different ways in which Siddha can be um, interpreted. So by special grace, they attain an aspect of they attain Siddha Dehas. Hmm. Looks to me more like a mixture of sadhana and mercy, but they got some special mercy. So there's some emphasis laid on that, which isn't isn't common. What else? It's really hard to, to break those apart. You get some kripa and then you can have sadhana, or you get some sadhana and then gradually. Yeah, I think the real difference is when there is no sadhana that's seen, and suddenly someone becomes a devotee. But it happens in lila, for example. Hmm. Doesn't happen too often. Yes. It would seem like in the Govardhan lila that um, that was also. Um, 
um, bhakti against, you know, Varnashram, kind of when they're worshipping the, the worshipping That's true. That's true. And that, um, um, yeah, that does come out there. So that's another place, a little, little, a little just before this, actually. Um, in the Bhagavatam, it comes after this. Mm. And then Rasalila comes after that. So, in the, Bhagavata, in the Bhagavatam chapters, it comes first. Mm. Paula? In the Bhagavatam chapters, this chapter comes first. So that, that tension is there. And then, then in the Bhagavatam, the Govardhan Lila comes, and then it's, it's also there. Um, and then the Raslila comes. Yes. So Krishna is is a is a form, and some people can see him as supreme personality, like gopis and everybody. But there is also some people like the brahmanas and or other people that see him. They also understand his supreme personality, but still refuse to believe it. Or do they not see him? What what is there? <coughs> hindrance from acknowledging that. Yeah, they, 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 they may be seen in different ways, just like even those who love him see him differently. Some see him as the gopis see him, some see him as Mother Yashoda sees him. Hmm? His friends see him slightly differently with different kinds of love, fraternal love, parental love, romantic love. So they're all seeing him slightly differently, right? right? That's even within those who love him. And then there are those who's so they're uh, uh, they're they're not, um, for example, um, um, they may be religious and have a sense of living in the world with gratitude, and that there are many gods and goddesses. And Krishna, Krishna is one of them. Hmm? We like Krishna. We like Durga. We like Ganesh. Everybody. So they're not going to see Krishna like the gopis see Krishna. Hmm? They're going to think he's some some some. They know they see something about him. Hmm? Um, you know, it's just like okay, um, some people see everybody sees President Trump differently. <laughs> Not in this room, but <laughs> but. <laughs> but <laughs> Uh, maybe at the Baptist Church across the street or something. Maybe so. so, you know, who knows what who knows what his wife thinks of him now? Um, but uh, you know, he's the president. <laughs> but some people say he's not my president. So someone might say Krishna's the supreme god. I say, well, he's not supreme to me. I like Shiva. Yeah. So there are different conceptions. Hmm? And of course. Careful study reveals that the other man, there are all different manifestations of Krishna, so, but not everybody knows that. Uh, not everybody um, has the kind of association to understand the text properly, and or they understand an aspect, a feature of it. Hinduism speaks of karma, gyan, yoga, bhakti. They're all different paths, and um, they're efficacious to one extent or another in the yoga path, in the karma path, and the Jnana path or in the bhakti path, they'll think of Krishna differently. Hmm? A lot of people in Jnana think more highly of Shiva than than Krishna. Why? Because what's their goal? Hmm? How is Shiva? Shiva is depicted as sitting in meditation, 
with only ashes, dressed in ashes. So somebody who's living in the Himalayas, sleeping on a bed of nails, he wants to get out of the world, he just wants mukti, he wants to live forever in eternity and peaceful, rather than being chased by the reactions of his karma. So he unplugs from the karmic world and sits there, and Shiva's his ideal, he wants mukti, so he has more regard for Shiva. If he understood Shiva was is meditating on Krishna, well, then he might realize, why is he doing that? <laughs> but you know, not everybody gets that far, you know. So, so different paths, and and they'll think of Krishna differently. Does that help? Well, maya means identification with maya shakti means you get a material ego. So they're like, they, they, they go together, right? Um, but um, um, I want to say yes, um, of course, the, the more one is uh, selfish, it's, uh, Krishna is completely, and his leela is completely selfless. The gopis are completely selfless. So if the more one is selfish, the less one's going to understand the virtues of Selflessness and and uh, and and uh, regard it when they when they see it. Hmm? So um, it's also envy is a is a quality of this world, and envy is such that it has the power to turn good qualities into uh, ornaments into faults. Hmm? So, so someone can. I'll give you an example. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was a sannyasi. He was living in a room, a stone room, about six by six, no windows, and weeping in ecstasy and so forth. So one fellow came, another sannyasi, and he was near that room and he saw some ants on the ground. There were some ants on the ground in India, you know. (laughs) So he saw some ants, so then he said, uh-huh, that Chaitanya, he must be a false sannyasi. He must be eating sweets and leaving crumbs. That's why there's ants. And, I mean, it's such a stretch, but that's the power of envy. You understand? Mm-hmm. It can turn something very obvious, the one thing, into completely the opposite. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a powerful influence in this world. And everyone in this world is self-promoting, self-centered to one center or another. That's what the world's about. That's the whole problem. Why is that a problem? Because if everybody thinks to one extent or another that I'm the center, well, you can only have one center. So if you have a million, billion, whatever it is, centers, then there's going to be a problem. There's going to be a conflict, right? So, and no one's qualified to be the center and be able to reciprocate with the entirety and support uh, the, the circumference, hmm? like the stomach, the center of the body in terms of food intake, and it can give energy to the whole body. If you put the food in your hand and keep it there, it's not going to work, right? So there's so many centers. That's the problem. Everybody's a little self-centered person, and they kind of, by the influence of my, they kind of look at the world, how, how, what, what it can do for me. Hmm? Now there are different degrees of philanthropy and trying to move away from that and so forth. But unless you get out of the identity that I'm this body which has needs, then you can't be a giver in the full sense of the term. So 
So you're you're going to have to be selfish. You might have subtle selfish needs emotionally or whatever may be the case. Um, so so in 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 that uh, condition, then it's difficult to recognize what selflessness really is. We hear and we get good association, and we can start to make that as our ideal. But um, not everybody does that. So um, even they could hear about Krishna and not like the idea. Somebody else is going to be in the center. I don't like that. Mm-hmm. So your question? Yes. It's about chanting 64 rounds. Um, in Chaitanya Bhagavat, I'm sure you know what I'm going to say, but um, it says that Mahaprabhu, I think Mahaprabhu says it, that he says that I don't accept food for anyone that doesn't chant 64 rounds, or I don't, I don't eat in someone's house that doesn't chant 64 rounds. And certain um, different Gaudiyavat Acharyas seem to speak different things. Some are very adamant about chanting 64 rounds, some aren't. And the story I heard um, about Srila Prabhupada is that like he, one time he was chanting and he finished 16 rounds and devotees were there and, and uh, he was just like, 16 rounds, I'm done. Like, like that. And uh, so I'm just wondering if you could give some insight on these, uh, on these things. Are you confused about it? Um, I'm confused mainly about the Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu saying mm-hmm. that part. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's uh, written by Vrindavan Das Thakur, and um, I uh, I think that you uh, have to understand that teaching in light of how it has been interpreted by advanced devotees hmm, who um, are teaching about sadhana bhakti. So um, it may have been, let's say, something that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said. I mean, it's 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 really Vrindavan Das. He wasn't there, but he you know he might have heard that, so he said it and so, something. Um, but um, um, we see over the generations, well, let's say the teachings of Rupa Goswami are that um, there are different um, angas of bhakti and one can be perfect by doing any one of them or any combination of them, hmm. just by chanting, just by hearing, and, and so forth. So if that's the case, that's the Siddhanta, we know that. Rupa Goswami's book is particularly Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, the chapter about sadhana is about it. So he makes that point. So and we, and then he gives examples. Apparently Maharaj Parikshit was not chanting sixty-four rounds, but he heard the Bhagavatam from Sukadev and became perfect. Ambarish hmm? Maharaj, he was too busy to chant sixty-four rounds because he was doing all other nine, all other eight angas of bhakti given by Prahlad constantly. Prahlad Maharaj. 
he had to do smarnum because of the way his father treated him. He couldn't chant on those days. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, Sukadev Goswami was not chanting 64 rounds, at least for seven days, <laughs> because he was speaking the Bhagavatam full time. So, uh, you know, it's a little humorous the way I'm talking about it, but I think it, 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 it makes the point that, boy, that'd be a problem. Listen, Sugadev, Parikshit Maharaj, all these ideal people. And then the Goswamis um, themselves, let's say, in the Gaudiya tradition, per se, okay, well, this is the teaching of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, of, of Rupa Goswami. Um, the, uh, the, the measure of one's vow, like a commitment to chant a certain number of rounds, is something that should be, he teaches, is something that should be done in consideration of what practically one can do so that one doesn't take a vow to do more than he can and then break the vow. Hmm? And so that's kind of the principle. Hmm? Um, and um, we find that this is the way, by, by and large, that statement has been taken as kind of not an absolute but relative, a, a way of saying, um, uh, you know, what do you think? If somebody didn't chant 64 rounds in that house, but they did kirtan all day long, Mahaprabhu wouldn't eat there? Hmm? Or what if he just meditated all along? He, he was so deep in meditation, he couldn't come out to chant. Mahaprabhu wouldn't eat there? Hmm? Mahaprabhu ate. And I'll tell you something else. Mahaprabhu ate from the hands of a Ram Bhakta in South India in lunch. We didn't chant Hare Krishna at all. Hmm? Right? And there are other examples also of him chanting in the houses of people that didn't chant 64 rounds. So you look at all that and you kind of like to take that statement more of as a, as a kind of an idea that unless somebody's really dedicated, then you know I'm not going to live in their house. Hmm? You're not going to find me there. Something like that. And my main, that, that was said in the context of his emphasis on kirtan, which is his main was his main, you know, method, if you will. So um, there are examples of him eating in houses of persons who didn't chant 64 rounds. And then we have many examples in the lineage of persons as well. Um, um, that, uh, for example, Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasthi Thakur, speak of Gaudiamath, he founded the Gaudiamath. He uh, instructed his disciples to, to chant 64 rounds unless other divine service took precedence. Hmm? In which case he said, Mala Upavasna, don't let your mala fast. Hmm? But let us say, for example, I say, Devuti, come. And Devuti says, I've only chanted 62 and a half rounds. You'll have to wait, girl, Gurdjie. Mahaprabhu said it in Chaitanya Bhagavat. You didn't know that, Gurudev? <laughs> that won't be a good, uh, good answer, right? Hmm? So we can see the dynamic application of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur. If you have no other service to do, then there's always the service of chanting, but there may be other, many other services to do, and they may take precedence in certain, certain instances, right? So... Um, 
And then amongst his followers, um, yes, there are some people that have got chance 64 rounds. They, they got a thing like that. And then others don't see it like that. Mm-hmm. And, and we see people who are very advanced or siddhas who didn't follow that. So it would seem that those who are insistent upon that, they have a little bit of a provincial perspective on it. And they happen to have picked something out that some formula that, that they are going through every day, which they think is assuring their salvation and they're quick to weigh in on the, and, and condemn everybody who doesn't uh, do it and, 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 and dismiss them, which leads one to believe they're not paying that much attention in those 64 rounds if what they get out of it is criticizing people that don't. Hmm? If you're satisfied with what you do, if you're not satisfied with what you do, is it weak faith? It said needs and requires an enemy. Hmm? I'm chanting 64 rounds. I got it down. Okay, and and so uh, I want to I want to I I I believe this is this is the formula. This is the formula. This is it. I found it. This is the secret form. It's right there in Chaitanya Bhagavat, and and I believe it so much that that uh. uh and tell everybody else about it, and, and you know you're just trying to secure your faith in what you're you're doing, which isn't really doing for you what you what it's supposed to, because the, the whole spirit of the thing is lost in an, in a, in a, in a race of of numbers and, and counting. Hmm? And I've seen that uh, many many times. Um, so that's how I think about that one. Sadhana, a way for bhakti, or like, is there a step here where sometimes we get overly focused on sadhana? But is sadhana the end goal, or ultimately bhakti is the end goal? Well, sadhana is a form of bhakti. There's bhakti in practice, we call that sadhana bhakti, and there's bhakti in bhava. So, in bhakti in bhava, one still does things like hearing and chanting, but emotion is driving that. But prior to being having their one sadhana of hearing and chanting driven by spiritual emotion, uh, it can be driven by intelligence, by the by understanding from scripture the power of such acts to cleanse the mind, the heart, control the senses, and so forth. And also, uh, sadhana is a kind is a type of bhakti. It's a it's a stage of bhakti where you're doing bhakti with your senses, so to speak. And, uh, and trying to fix your mind, right? And this, what this is doing, among other things, is it's destroying material samskars. There are material samskars that that cause us to be habituated in certain ways to act and so forth. And there's no way to do away with those. There's no way other than sadhana, spiritual practice. Hmm? And what, Because what spiritual practice in bhakti does is it creates bhakti samskars that then make their way in and don't leave room for the other samskaras to remain. So they're they're done away with. Hmm? So it's very important sadhana, and we should have a healthy diet of sadhana. And sadhana is meant to beget bhava. So from sadhana comes bhava. From So there's an English saying, practice makes perfect. Hmm? So we see someone who's advanced, and this is what they do, we might think, I'll try those things too. Hmm? We may not feel like he or she does, but that that will come in time. Does that help? Yeah. Is there a stage where you get to a state of bhava and 
sadhana is not that important? Um, well, what happens is that, let me give you an example. Have you ever had jaundice? Oh, you're from India. You must have. <laughs> so, so when you get jaundice, if you get a bad case, then um, sugar will taste taste bitter. But sugar is not bitter. But because you have jaundice, it tastes bitter. But sugar cane is also a cure for jaundice. So if you have jaundice and you eat sugar cane, it will taste bitter. But as the jaundice goes away, the sweetness that was always there in the cane will become apparent. So Sadhana Bhakti is chanting, for example, with jaundice. And the chanting is kind of like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to be blissful, but not feeling blissful today. But anyway, I'm doing it. But as you, as you, when you understand it, intellectually and you've been educated and so you understand the argument that the, the practice how it works and you keep doing then the jaundice goes away sweetness comes hmm? and then you, you're chanting because it's sweet not because you have to or you're supposed to but you can't stop you can't you like to talk about Krishna and share the thoughts and feelings coming from that so you understand that's the answer for that question <laughs> okay it's all right we'll stop and chant Hare Krishna with feeling. Hare Krishna. Ki jai. Ode Premanandi.